Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Morning, family. Wow, so many exciting things happening in our community. Something in there for each one of you. I, um, I love something I read uh, on, online this week about, um, about the relationship between summer and winter, as if, uh, it, or at least Joburg summer and winter, that, uh, that uh, it seems like there's this fight, and then winter storms out the room, and then comes back in and says, and another thing! <laughs> <laughs> so it can feel a little bit like an unfinished, unfinished fight. Even when it gets warm, we're not sure if we should start celebrating yet. I hope that um, you've been having an incredible time in the book of Isaiah. We've been enjoying it. We've been enjoying the devotionals. Um, and uh, maybe some of you are experiencing just reading chapter by chapter through the, a book of the Bible for the first time. And that's always amazing uh, for you. So uh, please um, uh, continue to delve into, into the meat of the word. And let's continue to discuss within our social spaces, within our connect groups, uh, about what the Lord is highlighting. Today we're going to focus uh, on chapter 56 um, of, of Isaiah and kind of the, the lens that we are applying as we're working through uh, these, um, or this, this chapter is the idea of kingdom living, uh, kind of what it means for us as uh, kingdom citizens to be in relationship uh, with God, a relational God, um, and how he reveals himself to us, God who continuously uh, reveals himself to us as we experience him. Uh, and God was revealing himself uh, to the people of Israel uh, continuously, and we want to see how he was continuing on that path of, um, of revelation. So we're going to uh, look at, uh, at chapter 56, so please follow uh, with me in your, in your Bibles. It's always good to read your Bible, um, even if the Scripture is uh, on, on, the, on the screen. I want to encourage you to read with, uh, on, on the Bible if you're at home, if you can open your Bible, uh, whether it's a physical copy or in your phone. It's just a good practice um, for us to engage uh, with, um, with our Bibles. And so let's read uh, chapter 56. Now, we're not going to cover the whole chapter uh, in the time that we have here together, but we're going to cover portions of it. But I want to read through the chapter because I think that just always helps to create good perspective and helps us when we create context in understanding the Scriptures. So uh, chapter 56 says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them I will give in my house, and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord 
to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and hold fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forests, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yet they are greedy dogs, which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain, from his own territory. Come, one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. Well, saints, the Lord doesn't pull any punches. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. Um, and it's good for us uh, to engage in the scriptures. Now, right at, at the start of, um, of this, this uh, portion of scripture, there's an interesting charge uh, and an interesting invitation that the Lord extends. Um, and in verse 1, uh, it says that, uh, keep justice and do righteousness. That, that's the opening portion of this bit of Isaiah's message for, for us to keep justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed, says the Lord. Keep justice and do righteousness. It was interesting to me as I was pondering on these scriptures and, and, and I really felt like uh, there was something specific that the Lord had for us here, and, and I wanted to kind of delve into it and, and, and just trust the Lord uh, for His message here. And, and so that meant I had to just go away and meditate and just kind of read up um, on, on this stuff and pray and trust the Holy Spirit to open up uh, my, my understanding, especially in light of the fact that um, when we talk about justice and righteousness in today's language, those two things seem to be very uh, different concepts. Uh, justice and, uh, and righteousness, how we engage them. Justice is, is, is something that we engage uh, on, on, uh, on, on public, uh, in public spaces. Um, it seems to be a, a matter for, for law and public life, whereas righteousness uh, seems to be something that is far more a matter of personal piety. Uh, and so we, we even as Church leaders might engage government, for example, and lobby government on matters of justice, uh, but not necessarily on matters of righteousness. And yet it was interesting, as I was working through the scriptures, that as a very simple word study uh, was, showed me that um, these two concepts, God reveals himself as a God of justice and righteousness 20 times in the Old Testament, half of those times in the book of Isaiah. He was, he was emphasizing something that he wanted the people of Israel to understand about who he is and about their relationship together. And, and we know that um, 
in every generation, there kind of seems to be that, that, that rallying thing that we get around and, and that kind of is the rallying cry for the people of that generation and we do battle on, on, on those grounds. And, and this issue of justice has really arisen as something that is personal to many of us and we rally around it, we get it, it's personal to us and we want to see justice. Um, even how we understand God, we want to see God being a God who pursues uh, and promotes justice. And oftentimes, though, what we have to be careful of is we can be a group of people and we shout for justice, but we have to be clear what we mean by justice uh, because we can have differing views, can't we? So when you see a group of people picketing outside a courtroom, following a particular court case, wanting justice, oftentimes that is retributive justice. Um, it's penal. And, and, and when uh, you see maybe a debate going on at the UN or the AU, the World Health, uh, Health Organization, uh, about how to distribute resources, how to move things from those who have to those who don't have, that's distributive justice. Uh, where people who are wanting to observe fairness and to facilitate that. And, and a lot of what we're going to be covering um, today is, is the understanding of restorative justice, kind of the, the, the kingdom justice uh, that, um, that restores and that heals. So a good place to start, though, as we engage on this journey is always to kind of understand the audience of the day the people that Isaiah was preaching to, how would they have understood his message? How would they have understood this invitation uh, to be righteous or to do uh, uh, justice, to be just, to be just and to do righteousness? How would they have understood that um, that mandate? And when we look at the Old Testament understanding of justice and righteousness, there's a few things that kind of come to light. And so there's this word, the Hebrew word uh, for righteousness uh, is tzedek. And um, whilst it encompasses uh, a lot of meaning around righteousness, like to be in, in the right uh, morally or ethically, also it includes justice. Uh, but there's a particular focus that I want to angle in on uh, for the purposes of our study this, uh, this morning. And um, that is the understanding of righteousness as it pertains to relationship. Justice and righteousness, as a matter of fact, as it pertains to righteousness. So that, that Old Testament understanding of righteousness being the fulfillment of relational obligations, a covenantal relational obligation. And so the, the people of Israel would have understood God to be a righteous God because he fulfilled his relational obligations to them. He made promises to them, and he fulfilled those promises. He provided for them, and he protected them. So as far as they were concerned, he was a righteous God because he fulfilled covenant expectations. The people of Israel would have considered themselves to be righteous if they were fulfilling their covenantal expectations or obligations towards God, expressed in their obedience, uh, particularly to the commandments of God. So when they were walking in obedience, they were in, uh, walking in righteousness. The concept of justice also is a covenantal concept, and it is this word, mishpat. Um, 
which, which is a sense of, of, um, of, 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 of justice and righteousness, but it carries with it a more forensic or legal sense. So you would go to court to pursue justice, to pursue mishpat. You would put in good laws to pursue mishpat. And so the idea of how these words play together can be understood in the in this sense that righteousness uh, being a covenantal uh, uh, relational obligation between God and Israel and justice being applied righteousness. And so if we have that as a starting point, we see um, that um, if these two concepts are relational, what do they speak? What is the purpose um, of this connection? And what do they speak to in terms of God and how he relates to the people of Israel? Well, if you caught some of Pastor Greg's uh, sermon last week, and if you haven't, please make sure to catch the podcast because there is some amazing uh, teaching uh, that you would have missed out on there. But what he taught us was that uh, part of the overarching purpose of the nation of Israel was to bring forth the Messiah. And so when God called these people and chose them and built them into a nation, there is an understanding that through relationship, the relationship that he has with them, that they would cultivate that, that, that relational bond, that, um, that uh, covenantal relationship, and through that, the Messiah would come. And so if God now extends this invitation for these people to keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed, what do we understand from that? There's an invitation. Keep justice. Do righteousness. Keep mishpat. Do tzedek. Keep relational covenant obligations. Because if you are relationally and covenantally tied into me, I am about to keep my relationally, covenantally um, obligations towards you. I'm, I'm sure that was bad English, but the, 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 the concept is powerful. Keep, be faithful. Be faithful in this relationship that I have with you because I am about to bring about a faithfulness from my part that is going to bring revelation. And so the importance of this is that as long as Israel was in relationship with God, God was able to bless Israel, was able to lead Israel, guide Israel, which means that he could cultivate the atmosphere that the Messiah would come into. Now for them, the idea of salvation, right, was a very real practical, now salvation, you're saving us from our enemies. But we know that God had a double meaning on that, where yes, I am going to save you from your enemies, keep this relationship, but also there is a salvation of the soul that I'm going to be bringing through. And so therefore, when you are in relationship, when you are positioned well, it allows me to do what I need to do. And when we are covenanted well, we can bring forth purpose that is a blessing to those around us. So keep justice and do righteousness. In, uh, in verse 1, uh, 
sorry, verse 2. It says, blessed is the man who does this and the son of the man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. And so what we start seeing here is an outflow of this initial covenant relationship. That there is a way in which the obligations of this relationship can be expressed. And we start to see some of that expression. And we can think of it in these terms. And this is kind of the closest example that I could think of. That I have a covenant relationship with my wife. I, I'm in connection with Kulu. And as long as I maintain certain expectations of the relationship, we remain in good connection, right? But if I don't maintain those relational obligations or expectations, we may be distant or our connection may even be severed. So if I value relationship with her, or if I value relationship with God, then I have to walk in righteousness. What does that mean? Righteousness, relational obligation to the relationship that we're in. And God, and you know, you, you may have wondered sometimes why there's so much in the Old Testament where it seems like, man, it's prophet after prophet pronouncing doom, and it's difficult to read, and it's just law after law, and judgment, and judgment, and judgment. And if you've been reading the book of Isaiah, you would have come across chapters that were just judgment on different nations. Why? Because God is a just God, and if, the, if this judgment is or this justice, sorry, is understood as a forensic justice, then the process of there is judgment coming on you, let me tell you why, is very necessary. We, he, God must tell you that there's judgment coming, must tell you why, all the ways in which he has uh, uh, labored with you, all the ways in which he has tried to save you, all the ways in which you have been stubborn, and the fact that, you know what, I'm still going to save you at the end of the day, but there's a punishment coming. Why? Because that's a process that arrives at a point of justice. When we follow the process, at the, the logical conclusion is we get to the end of it and we say, God is just. That's forensic legal process. Which means that he is righteous in fulfilling his relational expectations, even when he is pronouncing judgment on us, even when he has said, I'm handing you over to your enemies, he is still fulfilling the righteous obligation of his relationship towards us. And so he starts to help them understand that part of this is in observing specific things, and he addresses some specific things. Sabbath, he addresses the foreigner, he addresses the eunuch. And he says, blessed is the man who does this and the son of the man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So what is the big deal with the Sabbath? Why does God harp on the Sabbath so much? Not just in this portion of scripture. If you go all the way back to Genesis and you go all the way into the New Testament, there's an incredible emphasis on the Sabbath. So what is God's obsession with the Sabbath? Well, to start off with, the Sabbath is an issue of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. 
God created the world. We know that it, 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 this process is laid out for us in the book of Genesis. And when he had created the world, that he, uh, and, and he had created all in it, and he had created human beings, that he pronounced goodness upon it, and he rested. And he declared this, that if he found a, a day of rest, that we ought to follow suit. And so it's an issue of obedience. Why do we have a Sabbath? Why do we have a, have a day of rest? Because God mandated it. Because God said it should be so. Sabbath is also a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. That should make sense to us. Uh, many of us who uh, live in, in Johannesburg, in maybe other big cities and metros, you understand this con concept of the hustle. You know, we're always hustling. We have the main thing. We have the side hustle. We're always trying to do things. You remember when the lockdown started and we thought it was going to be a 21-day kind of break and everybody was talking about, okay, now you can hit your exercise targets. Now you can uh, uh, start learning an instrument. You can come out with a new business. If you, do, if you don't have a, an alternative income stream when you come out of this uh, 21 days, you're not serious. Who is talking about rest Nobody is talking about rest and reconnecting with God, looking after your soul. Why? Because we are a driven people. We're driven people and we wear this, this busyness and drivenness and hustle mentality as a badge of honor. Now it's good for us to be productive. It's good for us to hustle. But it's also good for us to recognize that we are not in and of ourselves our provider. There, that's why it becomes a statement of faith. Because I can do all I can, but there comes a point at which I have to be willing to put everything down, sit down, and receive. And recognize that, that um, even if I hadn't done this process of stepping back and having a Sabbath, and I'd applied myself and I'd run hard, I still wouldn't be the provider. And so the statement of faith is in stepping back and saying, God, now you do your part. You are the provider. Yes, there's still emails that need to be responded to. Yes, there's still a proposal that needs to be put together. Yes, there's still that research that I need to compile. But you know what? You are the one who provides. And you're the one who will provide. The Sabbath is a time of rest. And it's rest that brings about perspective, right? So one of the things that it helps me with is I realize, why do I need rest? Because I'm tired. I'm tired because I have limitations. I have limited resources. And so that tells me that I'm a limited being, but the good news is I serve a limitless God, so I can, I can go and I get, get my recharge from Him. It's a time of detox where I can just take out all the sludge that has gotten into my soul over the course of the week. And, and I'm going, Lord, all the anxiety that's crept its way in, all the worry that's crept its way in, all the sin that's crept its way in, all the doubt and, and faithlessness and fear that's crept its way in, or, or, all the insecurity as a result of what I thought or people said or whatever, all these things, I can detox and I can bring them before the Lord. Or, or, all of this stuff helps me to diagnose and to realize the state of my filters, right? Strong filters, there's a lot less sludge that went, went in and that I have to take out. If I'm constantly, man, it, it's like, it's a labor, and I'm packing on the sludge at, at the end of the week. Man, I need to really address my filters. What am I allowing to come in? But the Sabbath helps me to recognize my filters or to recognize the state of my filters 
and how to address those. In fact, if you look at the, the, the outworking of this justice and righteousness, um, the, the Sabbath, and you look at how he addresses how we treat the foreigner and, and, uh, and, and the eunuch, it's very much a gospel picture. It's this idea that we put God first, and putting God first is an issue of righteousness. It's our covenantal expectation. It's the very first commandment. But it also addresses community. And if you think of this picture, even of the cross, that's like a relational relationship with God and relationship with people. That, 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 that picture of gospel is created even in this moment. And so he addresses our understanding, our keeping, observing of the Sabbath. But he also goes on and he addresses the foreigner and the eunuch. Now verse 3 says, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. What is he saying? How we treat people matters. How we treat people is a matter of righteousness. It is an outworking of the relationship. It's one of the key expectations of us maintaining relationship with him. We, we can't have this space of, Lord, you and I are so amazing, but I treat people horribly. And I, my, the state of my relationships is in disres, disrepair. It's a holistic, and the gospel is holistic. It addresses me and my relationship with God, but it also addresses me and my relationship and my place in society. And so the foreigner and the eunuch. And, and, and the scripture, if you look at it, if we can pop it up again, the scripture says, do not let them say, do not let the foreigner say, do not let the eunuch say. And what that should tell us is that it is within our power. The, 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 the foreigner and the eunuch's understanding of who God is and who they are in God has a lot to do with how we treat them how they're treated within the community of faith. And so how you understand, so if you are a foreigner, how you understand relationship is directly linked to community. So the, and, and so this is not just to kind of disparage and say, you know, Christians, make sure you treat people well. But this is also to say that if I am feeling, if I am a foreigner as in I'm from a different nation, or I'm feeling like I'm outside of community, the best picture that I will get of who God is is within community. So I need to step into community. So, so whether I, I, I was displaced and came from a different nation whether I carry a, a, a wound in my identity that makes me feel like I don't belong, whether I feel like I'm isolated and outside of relationship, however that makes sense to you, there is an invitation here that one, you as a, us as a people of faith, 
to draw people in and to treat them such that they have a good understanding of the righteousness and the justice of God. But there's also an expectation on, of you if you feel like you're on the outside to press into community because it is in there that you will have a true picture of the righteousness and the justice of God. And he says to the eunuch, do not, let, do not let the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. Now, this was vitally important uh, for the people of the day because how they would have seen, how they would have looked at somebody who was a eunuch was very much that, you know, you're, you're cursed by God. You're cursed in the sense that you're not allowed into the assembly. You're cursed in that you can't reproduce after your own line. You're cursed in that your societal and economic uh, aspirations are, are, are limited. And, and also, there, is, there was this fear of, of, um, of, of legacy and eternity, right? So they, the, the people of the day didn't have our understanding of eternity, the, this idea of a life that continues. We go on to be with the Lord. We're, we're, we're absent with people here, but we're present with Jesus, and it's amazing. Um, that understanding was quite murky. So their reliance was, if I have children and, and I have many children, I ensure that my name lives on and is, it is through that that I can live on. That's how I can perpetuate my legacy or my eternity, if you will, through my children. And so if I don't have children, I, 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 God has abandoned me. I'm, I'm stressed out. If I die, that's the end of me, that's the end of, of, of my name, and it was a big deal. But God comes in and he says, no, wait, don't let the eunuch say in your community that I am a dry tree. Why? Because for them, in that context, it was still possible, God was saying it is still possible for that eunuch to be fruitful, yeah. to be fruitful in that community. And, and, and today we have people who feel like they, they maybe... Uh, second-class citizens within our community, and it's sad to say, but the reality is that we, you know, whether it's people who are single, who feel like, man, you know, faith communities are, are, hold up marriage so much that if I'm not married, I really don't have a voice in the room, um, that if, if I'm married and I don't have children, uh, you know, I haven't quite made it, and, and, and that, you know, if I, if I want to have a voice in the room, if I want to be seen, valued, respected, I need to be married with children. And that's the ultimate expression of God has blessed us. No. God brings us into family. And, and, and God constantly points us towards spiritual family. And the, the emphasis is on spiritual family, not just marriage. And so even with people within our community who, who are not married, some who are, have no desire to be married, who don't have children, some who have no desire to have children, some who do, God is saying don't let those people be in your community and say, oh, I'm just a dry tree. They will, say, they will say that depending on how we treat them, depending on how we value people. And verse, if we look at the next verse, it says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me, Hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut. And so God is bringing, up, bringing about the sense of a restorative 
justice, kingdom justice, that says to those people who may otherwise feel like second-class citizens within the kingdom, who may feel like outsiders, that says to them, no, wait, I have something for you. In fact, it is better than what you had imagined. He says to the eunuch, you who imagined that you would have been valuable if you had had children to carry on your line and your posterity, he says, come here and see what I have for you over here, because what I have for you is a legacy and a longevity and an eternity and blessings there that are better than anything that you could have construed or devised on your own. And so I will restore to you your dignity. I will restore to you your fruitfulness. I will restore to you your value, but not in the way that the world system works where you're valued because of how many children you have, but in the way that the kingdom works where you're valued because of your relationship with Jesus. And so there is a restoration and a kingdom restoration where he says to the foreigner who has been displaced, he says, you who have, have been displaced, you who, who left your home for following me, you who uh, have, have, uh, have felt like you were isolated or an outsider or don't belong, there is good news for you because I'm calling you to my holy mountain. So I am restoring value to you because where you felt like I don't have a home, I'm calling you into my household. You are one of my household. You'll be given responsibility and you will be received in this household. In, in, in my weakest moments, I would, I, would, I would have times where I would go before the Lord and I'm crying because I'm going, Lord, when I look at the people that I studied with and I went to school with who are now top-level executives at some high building, tall building in Santon, look at their life. Look at, what, look at the car they drive. Look at the holidays they go on. That could have been me. Why did you call me to ministry? And God has to remind me that no, Wait, your value and your purpose is not in what you could have construed on your own. But when you come into my household and you gain perspective, you realize that what I can give you is so much better than what you could have done on your own. And I know that to be true because every so often I would reconnect with some of those people that I was in school with who are seemingly doing so well. And I would come away praising God because I've seen that that is an empty shell. And I've seen that I carry fulfillment and purpose and joy and peace that cannot be replaced by anything I thought was out there. And so God says to me, the eunuch, and he says to me, the foreigner, he says, come into my household and I will give you a legacy. I will give you a posterity. I will give you blessing. I will give you eternity that you could not have imagined because all you could imagine what you, was what you've already seen, what other people have. That's what you aspire to. God is calling you to something that you have not even seen yet, have not even imagined yet, an eternal glory in his presence. And so this, this idea of a restorative justice is linked to this concept that we well know of uh, shalom. It asserts that real justice goes beyond punishment, goes beyond rehabilitation or the prevention of injustice. It seeks to restore the victim and his or her family. It seeks to restore the perpetrator. It seeks to restore the wider society to the shalom of God. That is the restoration that God is promising in these scriptures through relationship, through covenant, through us fulfilling our relational obligations towards him and him fulfilling the relational obligations towards you.
So, are you feeling like a eunuch? Good news for you is your posterity and therefore also your salvation and eternity is in God. Are you feeling like a foreigner? The good news for you is where you have felt displaced and without belonging, your place is in the household of God. He receives your gifts. He receives your personality. He receives you the way that you were created to be. And you can come in and you can worship him. Amen. Let's let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love towards us. Thank you that you call us to be sons and daughters in your kingdom. Thank you that you give us kingdom justice, kingdom uh, righteousness. Thank you that we are tied in relationally to you, that you are faithful to fulfill your uh, relational and covenantal expectations towards us. Grace us, Lord, that we also may walk in faithfulness towards you and fulfill our covenant expectations towards you. Thank you, Father.